0: Hello, folks. This is Barack Lurie at the Barack Lurie Podcast. Hope you're doing well. And uh, I, with my good friend and producer Ari David, always a pleasure. Uh, we have so many things going on now um, with the Ukraine situation, with the uh, uh, the crisis, uh, in, in, with the Malaysian Airlines, and just bizarre things are happening throughout the world. Um, I love talking about these things only because they're, you know, maybe not the Malaysian airline situation, but the Ukraine situation really is emblematic of the issues that we have. Um, You know, in a previous podcast, we talked a lot about about God and the logic behind having God and such. And before this podcast, Ari, you you brought up a a comparison that I liked so much that I, I just feel compelled to bring it up. Um, and it doesn't mean atheists are wrong and believers are right, but it's just an interesting observation that you made, which is this. Um, people who are sane um, are constantly questioning themselves. For example, uh, you, you might be really tired, and you, you, you're thinking all sorts of horrible thoughts, and you just say to yourself, you know what, Barack, just just sleep on it. Forget about it. You'll be okay. Just don't worry about it. Or for that matter, you've eaten too much sugar or, uh, uh, you're feeling sick or something really bad has happened in your life. And it really causes you to grieve in a certain way to think with, um, dark colored glasses as it were.
1: Yeah. They constantly ask, or we constantly ask ourselves, am I going crazy?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Am I going crazy? I'm, I'm having a nervous breakdown. I got, you know what? I need some rest. I just got to go home. I just enough. I got to change my venue do something else. I'm going to go to Hawaii. Um, But the the insane person always is sure about himself, right? Taking the classic example of somebody who thinks he's Napoleon, right? He he knows he's Napoleon. He doesn't ask himself, you know what, maybe I'm not Napoleon. (laughs) Um, And and he's in the loony bin, of course, but nevertheless, he doesn't question himself about his craziness. And in the same way, and I think this is what you were getting to, Ari, um, the reality is that people do not... Um, uh, when they're an atheist, they're so convinced about the justification and the righteousness of their beliefs that they never doubt. And, uh, in fact, it's interesting. I'm going to be meeting Dennis Prager uh, tomorrow, I believe, and I'm going to be bringing this up because that's always been an interesting issue for him. And I think that just kind of will wrap up the, the line of thinking for him. I think he might actually like that a lot. And I'll quote you on that. But... It's just a very interesting point that you raised the atheist is always so Sure of himself. Yeah, their faith is just unshakable for an unfaithful person, right? And the reason why because it's so obvious, you know, you and I I, You and I can say that till the cows come home, you know, God is is around because it's so obvious Um, You know, and I can tell you why I think it's so obvious It's absurd for example that you and I have free will and love beauty and have a sense of purpose yeah, it's all good and well that you want to talk about evolution in the context of, you know, a polar bear having white fur versus brown fur. And now he survives better because he can camouflage himself a little bit better, a little bit different. But it's so obvious in the complexity involved and how, how we came from, from a single cell amoeba to becoming the, the, the human beings with the intelligence that we have. You know, it's just kind of obvious. Right. But having said that, I still question myself. All the time, all the time, and after all, you can't see God right you can't hear him, you can't see you know feel him the same way that you could uh, the lamp in, in you know in front of us or the computer that we're talking to. you just don't have that same uh, resonance, so we're constantly doubting ourselves, and if something terrible happens to us, God forbid, we we wonder at that moment at that very vulnerable moment, you know why would God do this to us? Maybe there is no God. That we're tempted to reject God, whereas the atheist is kind of like the guy that that just simply wants to always um, uh, lower his expectations, and that way he'll never be too disappointed, right? He just decides there is no God, and therefore anything that happens his way, any misery that, that that befalls him, will then, um, you know, that it it all makes sense, right? Of course, he can never he never gets to enjoy the highs either. And what would you rather do? It's almost like saying. Let's not, uh, you know, I, I never want to get married because I might get divorced, right? Well, then you'll never enjoy the benefits and the, the joys of being married.
1: I never want to have kids because they might become teenagers. That's right.
0: Yeah. I, I, they might disappoint me or yeah. I might uh, lose them to a terrible disease or I might, you know, they might become uh, drug users. Yeah, it, it's all possible. It's all possible. Or they might be ugly or <laughs> whatever. It's it, it just, it's such silliness you, because you're, you're missing out on life. When you do that, and I guess I'm taking this much further beyond what you originally said, Ari, but it certainly prompted a lot of discussion. On yeah, that. but
1: the 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 germ of it, the seed of it, it goes to those places. It's that important of a concept because it's so it's so universally consistent, and it extends over to the the other debates you've been talking about the last couple of weeks about the debates between science and religion and what. Uh, the consensus of scientists believe on global warming and the kind of faith they put into Darwin and evolution rather than sure. having an open mind that there might be more than just everything that can be explained by this theory or that?
0: Right. It's so true. There was a book a long time ago, and I didn't read it, called The Closing of the American Mind.
1: Richard Bloom, I believe, right? right. That Did it? you read it? I've heard of it. Okay. It's actually on my reading list, but I,
0: not yet. I don't know really what it's about. Uh, I just I love the title, though. And it may, be, it may be the opposite of what uh, you and I espouse, which is that, that people are closing their minds when it comes to not, not accepting uh, God as a possible uh, fact in their lives. And maybe, maybe he is saying that, uh, that we are closing our minds by not accepting and embracing the obviousness of global warming. But it's neither here nor there. The point is, there is a closing of minds when you don't even allow for the possibility of, of God. And here's the distinction. I mean, you're, you're so right, Ari. Uh, global warming, since I've just brought this up, you and I were kind of look at, looking at a couple of Facebook postings where some people were saying that, um, you know, to, to even engage in a discussion with a global warming denier uh, is getting sucked into uh, the argument. That's what they want you to do. It's so obvious, it's so clear, end of story, and the debate is over. It's the same discussion, isn't it? They're so sure of themselves, whereas we, who are uh, global warming blasphemers, as it were, we're the ones doubting. We're simply saying, we're skeptical, my friend. You, You have laid out this argument, but you don't have the proof behind it. It may very well be that you're right, but I'm not about to change the entire economy of the world. Based upon a somewhat incomplete hypothesis, and don't tell me that it's that the debate is over because it ain't over, and there are too many scientists who think otherwise.
1: It also goes to a bigger issue, I think, provided we're not in mixed company or with our kids or families or children under a certain age or uh you know women or business associates. Even though we are moral men who believe in God, is there any issue under the sun you are unwilling to discuss just on its face? No. No. Same with me. I will talk about anything. I mean, some subjects you don't talk about in front of school children or something for obvious reasons because the subject matter is not appropriate. But – Provided I'm dealing with adult, mature adults, and we're dealing with a uh, honest conversation, the best of circumstances, with the best of intentions, right. we'll talk about anything. I cannot think of one subject under the sun I would say to someone, especially those who disagree with me. I will not have a conversation with you about that. Well, but let me let me think about that because um,
0: it's because I'm, I'm and gonna... I'm not talking about dealing with the insane, of course, or no, something sorry. like that. Of course, that. not. well. Well, that, maybe that's where the distinction is. And let me, let me kind of get to that. And then I want to talk about a couple of, a related topic. But there is a, a discussion that I would not, I, I've learned to tune people out. And that is anybody that portrays Israel as an evil country of any kind, an apartheid country, uses all those buzz phrases. Um, I've learned after, I don't know, 30 years now of the, debating the subject, that there is truly no point in dealing with these people that there's something wrong with these people and i would say 99.9 times out of 100 uh there's something flawed there's something insane about this person that they are lacking the ability to reason or they have a separate agenda uh, an anti-jew hatred that is operating them that that's what i've come to the conclusion of and so if somebody comes to me and says you know israel's a really bad country uh, you know, my the statistics in my head play out very, very quickly, and I say, okay, you know, you're just saying the same mantra that a bunch of idiots have said, and I'm just going to blow this apart easily, I'm, and I'm, I don't want to waste my time on you. Um, now, if they were to show me, however, that Israel has done something horrible, and in particular to a uh, uh, Palestinian family, for example, uh, you know, I would say that's not a good thing. You know, but I would still have perspective on the issue. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say the whole country is, is a horrible country because of what one or two soldiers may have done. Um, but, but they're just wrong. They have no facts on the ground and such. So at some point, I, I guess there, you know that's not a topic that I'm, I'm closing my mind on. But I know it so well that it's almost like my son trying to convince me, that five plus three is
1: nine, yeah, but the subject matter on that is a little different than they may bring up. The subject matter on that in in response, the way I see it, is yep. to just focus on that issue for somebody as you brought up as one that you wouldn't have, I would turn that subject around and say to the person bringing that up and say, "Well, you obviously have to deal with your own racism because you hate Jews mm-hmm. your your facts are incorrect, your your agenda is irrational, and you have some hatred. Right and, well, then, and then, until then, you, you, yeah. Okay, uh, but that's, So I'm that's, talking about. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about the in the context, uh, in an, an analog yeah. to the people who say, like you just mentioned, I'm not going to discuss global warming with someone where the disagreement is not a flaw of of racial agenda or something like that.
0: Right. Yeah, I I, I understand. Um, when they have facts and that they're not they're not relying on facts, or they're, they're inventing facts. That's when I, I tell the judge, Judge, you know, you can ignore this argument because this is crazy. He's saying, well, the sun is coming up in the west and rising in the east, and these are things that we've established a long time ago. Um, some things are just stupid. Um, the notion of anarchy, for example, is a stupid notion. Communism is a stupid notion. So if somebody comes to me and says, you know, back to your point about are there some topics that we will simply um, reject whole cloth, you know, somebody comes to me and says, you know, we really should try this communism thing. One more time. We've really not given it the fair shake that it deserves. It might really work. I'll tell them, well, it's been tried many times, and people always think that they're going to bring back the pure version of communism, but it always fails. And you know what? You know, it just, it just ain't going to work. You, you can't change human nature. And this is, you know, some basics about uh, human nature and the Bible, and that we learn from the Bible and from general wisdom anyway. But it's a great... A great uh, Question that you pose to to both of us, And then I do want to move on to another topic, um, and that is, um, you know, about whether or not we question uh, ourselves. And I think we question ourselves all the time. Uh, I, I question my atheism so much so that I began to realize I was wrong. I question my liberalism to the point that I realized I was wrong. I know exactly what liberals say, um, and what their what their main arguments are. Obviously. This or that individual liberal will have a different take on it. I get that. But in terms of the mainstream arguments that they present, um, I, I know them all. And I, and I know the atheist argument better than virtually every atheist I can, I can talk to. And, and I'm constantly telling them, no, you've you got to make this better argument. I've got a better argument for me. Why don't you argue this? And I'll go on top of that. And then they say, yeah, 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 I like that. <laughs> I said, okay, great. Let's pretend that you made that argument, Bob. And then um I'll I'll shoot down Bob's quote unquote argument that he never made. Um and this is the best way to learn, right? When you're when you've seen both sides of the issues and, and then you realize one is destructive and you've actually been there.
1: Yeah, you're showing me how to play a more advanced version of chess than I know. Mm-hmm. And one thing that you've done a couple times is you've shown me what it looks like from the other perspective. And there's nothing more powerful than when you've been on both sides. Yeah. And because you've lived... As experientially, not just in some debate class forum where you're told, "Hey, argue this side as an exercise in in uh, intellectualism," but from a real um, authentic point of view, when you when you understand both sides to the point of ha- having both opinions at different times in your life, you really become unassailable. And I think the real weakness of of the global warming enviro-statist, to pull a term from Mark Levin's kind of lexicon, is that they 've never looked at it from our perspective or ever attempted to live it from their our perspective to the detriment of their own arguments
0: yeah that, that's exactly right that's so true um, as I tell to you know my siblings are all liberal um, and they have debates with me from time to time very very uh, civil debates, i must say none of them are um, so uh, cantankerous that it's just unpleasant. Nobody storms off the room. Our Thanksgiving dinners are, are perfectly fine. How um, boring! No, no, but but, but 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 they're but they're logical arguments, and so they talk to me like I am not seeing something through. But this and I, and I and at some point I almost, you know, very often I've now told them, look, there's a major difference between myself on the one hand and the three of you on the other hand. What's that, Barack? I used to think like you do you have never thought like I do now and you know they have to nod their head and they they have to realize and I say there's nothing more enjoyable than than reaching an epiphany and not just an epiphany but an epiphany where it's 180 degrees from what you used to believe the joy of realizing that you were thinking in a very shallow way that you are wrong that the Christians that you thought you were, were your enemies, for example, were in fact your best advocates and that you, you're, just not, you're not giving them a fair shake, uh, it, it opens up wild doors, it's fantastic. when When you realize that there is a God after all, after you've been fighting this God all this time, wow, does that open up doors for you. When you realize that those Republicans are not greedy or racist bastards, <laughs> but in fact, they're the ones who are fighting racism. They're the ones who are uh, trying to bring as much into the coffers of everyone's pocket um, and try to lift all boats, as they say. They're the ones who don't even see skin color at all. They're the ones who want the big advancement of, of the world, and it's better for everyone. When you when you see that, it's such a great epiphany. It's so wonderful. It's exciting. It, it, it's Oh, it's just the best
1: feeling in the world. It's kind of like being told all your life that such and such band, whatever it is, really sucks yeah you know pink floyd sucks led zeppelin sucks the who sucks and then you finally hear pinball wizard or sheep or uh dazed and confused and you go i thought that sucks right
0: i didn't know it was that good right what happened right why why was i thinking that or uh or a food that you always thought you would hate like sushi i thought I mean, you know, be, sushi now is so popular. But I remember back in 1983 or so, sushi was relatively not uh, available here in the States, even in Los Angeles. Um, and That you know, was the, like eating
1: grasshoppers at the time. Yeah, mentally. It, yeah mentally. It, it,
0: was, it was a crazy, not crazy, but it was like a, it was a little too exotic for most people, the notion that you're eating raw fish. Okay, So we happened to live in Japan. And then one day my dad says, you know, just try this thing. I think you'll like it. And I just, like, uh, I, I braced for this. And, but everyone else seemed to enjoy this. And I just thought, well, that's what, they're, they were born with this. That's why they're used to it. And it's, it's going to be horrible. And I tasted this thing with a little bit of soy sauce. And it was heaven. I loved it. And I just gobbled up sushi day in and day out after that. And, and by the way, sushi in, in Japan is fantastic. I mean, it, it, you know, it makes sense, right? It's what you would expect. But it truly is fantastic over there. And then it started opening up here, and I was encouraging everyone to eat sushi. It's the same sort of thing, right? But, but when you're talking about the big pictures of life, um, the, the, the joy of discovering God, th- there can be no greater joy, right? I mean, it, how shall I put it? It's like finding that great lady of your dreams, and just you just stumble upon her, and you realize, wow, I've, I was meant to be with this woman. And she likes you back. And she likes you back. And, but it's, it's a, it's it's a, you're designed to be with each other. That's the feeling you have, and it's a hundred times stronger than that feeling. And we all know that feeling, folks, right? Um, the, the the special someone that you just would just be thrilled to be with, and she makes you feel great and brings out the best in you, and somehow you know you're, you're both got you the same faith, and she's the right age, and she's sexy looking, and all the good things, and she she likes the same. Yeah, sports that you like, whatever. You have a lot in common. And and it's, that's what believing in God is like. And it's 100 times stronger than that. That's the feeling. And it's a shame. I feel, Look, you and I, we feel sorry for atheists. I do. I feel sorry because they're, they're refusing. It's, it's like, I don't know. It's like once in a while I'll take a, my, my kids to a playground area. And They're stuck in this one little area, and they refuse to to, to even turn their head to see this really cool slide that I know that they would like And they just don't do it. It's what a shame.
1: Yeah, and I think there's an even bigger issue with Once I discovered God or rediscovered it because I think that we're all born with this innately and we lose it Because of whatever influence you finally feel truly safe you finally feel in a way not self-destructively invincible but truly invincible in that you know no matter what happens, my soul is safe, yeah. that, that there is a meaning in life, there is accountability in life and in afterlife, and that my existence has a purpose, and my life purpose is to find
0: that purpose and do it, right. whatever it is. Right. It's the building blocks of, of logic, right? First of all, you logically realize by statistics, by the numbers, as I did, that uh, everything we see around here has pretty much uh, been created by a higher being, uh, and that's that. It just has to have been. Okay, so then you conclude, well, if it's a higher being, well, then there was a reason why he created these things, right? I mean, and why do I even have a sense of purpose? I must. There must be a purpose to my having a sense of purpose, right? Um, my sense of creativity, my sense for love, my sense for beauty. You know, are we put on this planet just so that we can enjoy, you know, some good music from time to time and, and not do anything with it? I mean, and not to grow from it? And then the logic again dictates that you have a purpose. So, um, and then you wonder, okay, well, what about this Bible thing? I always say, you know, you, you can know that there's a God and you can believe that there, it's the God of the Bible. But the more I think of it, the more I think that the God that That to design of the universe is probably the same as the god the god that uh that also created um the um the world uh instead of the bible right the god of the bible rather and so you know that's where we're that's where we go and so once you once you realize those basics, then you realize there must be a soul also it, right i mean it would not, it would make no sense for for God to give you a sense of self-awareness, which is clearly what we all have. I mean, nobody can deny that they have a sense of self-awareness. Only to just go poof in the end. It, it just, nothing would make sense. And and now this is the point that I want to talk about because, and it took us a while to get here, but it's something that kind of hit me as an epiphany myself. We have purpose, right? You You use that word. And... We need God, we have and in the book that i 'm now writing, I talk about the impulse for God, and it 's innate in all of us now i 'm not just talking about the fact that we all you know you know we seem to have it in our heart it's it, it, I, I ask the question why do we have it in the first place right why Why do we have a yearning for God in the first place if it's if there is no God, and I gave the example before about. If you have an instinct for water, you can satisfy it with water. Thirst, right? If you're if you're hungry, you can you can satisfy that hunger by eating. If you have, uh, you know, if you feel a little amorous, you can satisfy that feeling with woman. With uh, with with who <laughs> with a woman. <laughs> that was my
1: Conan the Barbarian the right, exactly. Right.
0: <laughs> right? There's there's somebody, uh, you know, it's possible, right? All those things are possible, and there are many other instincts that you can satisfy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're afraid of something, you can maybe run away from it. You get the idea. But why would we be infused with an instinct for God, which even the atheist acknowledges? He's just fighting it. He's, he says it's a silly vestige, like the appendix. You know, that's funny. But it's still an instinct. An appendix is not an instinct. It's an organ. <laughs> and and he, the atheist will say you, again, I told you, I can out atheist, any atheist. The atheist will tell you, Barak, the reason why you have an instinct for God is to protect you from the cruel evil world as it is, and uh, this instinct is only to protect you. That's all, that's all it is. And you're fooling yourself into thinking that somehow it's, it means anything more than that. It's an evolutionary thing, you understand, Barak. It's evolutionary. It protects you. And if we didn't have that, well, then we would all be killing ourselves, and we, we, we would have no survival as a result. But make no mistake Baruch it's just a uh, it's a way, it's a drug to which i respond okay then how come the animals don't have it I mean, if it's necessary for our survival why don't the lions have it the elephants and so on they don't seem to have any sense of purpose other than just surviving
1: being and elephants being lions being elephants uh, being yeah
0: they're they're yeah. not striving for the betterment of all elephant kind right you know i i i joked around the other day like uh I imagine a leopard, he's kind of sitting lazily on, on a tree branch. And here's what he's not thinking. He's not thinking, well, here I lie, sitting on a branch, doing like what my pappy did before me and what his pappy did before him and his grandpappy did before him. <laughs> right? No.
1: It's like a far side uh, cartoon. Yeah, cartoon,
0: right? They don't think that way. They think only for the moment. They have no sense of purpose. Uh, other than eating and, and uh, protecting themselves. That's it. That's, that's the unique thing. So why don't we, you know, if, it, if it's an instinct just for our survival, well then you would expect it to see in the animals and you don't. In many ways, animals provide a great foil for our arguments because if there were no animals, if we were only humans on the planet and, and there's food and that's it, then we would have no context. To appreciate our free will, for example, our sense of beauty, we would take those things for granted. And but but we do have the animals; we do get to compare, and then we do get to ask ourselves, why are we so friggin' different? Because we really are. And and that's really a, a push that I think uh, too many atheists just refuse to rec- talk about the closing of the mind. That once they get past that, if you can get to that per- to to the atheist, on that issue alone you might have an opening because that is a powerful argument. Now, the other day I saw on Cosmos, um, this is the new TV show that tries to explain the universe and such. It's
1: a new version of the old TV show, except the old TV show was good. Basically. <laughs> right. Let me summarize it that way.
0: <laughs> well, the, 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 uh, whatever the effects on the show are pretty good with the universe and everything else. But, um, I couldn't help but notice that it was very interesting. Two things that they focused on, which is, uh, as you pointed out, uh, Bruno, not Copernicus, but um, they they hounded and persecuted Bruno for his belief that the earth went around the sun and not vice versa. And we talked about that at a previous podcast and how, how much emphasis they put on that. Why do they put so much emphasis on it, even though that is maybe a blip in the entire Christian history? Uh, well, because it was the one thing that they could they could glom onto, the one thing. It's like kind of like when you have an argument with somebody and you end up saying, uh, that's idiotic, right? And it's truly idiotic, but they don't like the name-calling. So that, that then the argument turns entirely upon the word idiotic, right? Or if you swear, they'll, they'll focus on the swear. It no longer becomes about the underlying issue. It's, it's that. So now all of a sudden, because they didn't treat Bruno very well, the whole enterprise known as the Catholic Church is now suspect, right? It's entirely wrong. Yeah. Never mind all the great things that the Catholic Church yeah. provided the world, including universities, including science, including medicine, including so many different inventions. Never mind all those things. All that mattered is that, that some idiots decided to persecute or, or you know, harass, really, this man named Bruno. And uh, it, you can just, you know, flush all of uh, Christianity down the toilet. And mentioned. then
1: with you know, applying uh, liberally the guilt by association philosophy, all religions. Oh, yeah, why not? You know?
0: Yeah, why, why, why not? Yeah. Uh, so, so that's how— so Except that,
1: for, of course, Islam. Islam was infallible.
0: Right, right. Yeah, that's what I noticed when I read that—was uh, it Karen Armstrong? Yeah, Karen Armstrong's book, uh, The History of God— And and that's exactly what happened. She she really just lambasted both Judaism and Christianity. Uh, Basically, the the thesis of her book was that God itself was was an invention, that God himself has has evolved. Um, And she, she purports to show this. I didn't think it was a very strong argument. But Islam, oh, it's fantastic. It's yeah. the best.
1: They give us algebra.
0: They're fantastic. Right. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. By all means. Yeah. When I heard that, of course, oh, those are the people who maybe suffer through that class in high school?
0: <laughs> Them? <laughs> Thanks <good>. a lot. <laughs> That's a good one. Now, the latest one I saw on, on that is um, the, you know, I, I'm thinking to myself, okay, let me open my mind because I, I, far from it, I would never want to be anybody that uh, can construe myself as being close-minded or narrow-minded or anything else. I'm open to anything. I'll listen to anything. Yeah, like I pointed out, we're willing to have any conversation, just about. Right, and evolution is certainly one of them. And so this one, I think the most recent one, was about, um, you know, they're trying to advance the principles of evolution, survival of the fittest. You get the idea. And they bring up exactly the same example that I mentioned a little bit previously in this podcast of the polar bear, the brown polar bear, brownish polar bear, who now has to deal with his, you know, being able to be seen. And the the white polar bear, who was a mutation, you understand, uh, has the advantage of being able to surprise its prey a little bit better. In the snow of the Ice Age. In the snow of the Ice Age, right. And boom, all of a sudden, this one survives more often. And they showed the brown bear getting ever thinner in the process because he can't be as quick and nimble as the white polar bear. Never mind that the, the the white polar bear probably belongs to the same family as the brown polar bear. And this this uh, would only happen one time. I mean, unless you want tons of mutations all at the same time. It's, right. it's, it's quite a silly argument. And then they were lamenting if
1: global warming would happen, how all the white bears would then turn brown and what a tragedy that is. And then I yelled out at the TV the obvious, which is my God, they're so racist. The, the, the bear turns brown and they have a problem with it? That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Which goes to my theory that yeah. liberals are completely racist, usually unintentionally, but, you know.
0: Well, uh, that's very funny. But look, uh, then then they, okay, so they, they try to argue this point, and they're really trying to, so I'm, so I'm listening to their arguments. I know all these arguments, of course. And then they try to turn the argument that, that um, uh, believers make, which is that the eye, the, the human eye, and for that matter all other animals, it completely confounds the notion of evolution. Right? It completely is inconsistent because they're so they're so similar in some ways in the patterns, but they don't they don't jibe. They wouldn't they wouldn't belong on the same tree, as it were. Um, and and the timing of the eye and stuff like that. So so the host basically tries to turn that on its head, and he says, well, here's how the eye developed. And, you know, it created, It first it saw light, first it, then it did this, then it did that, and it got ever more nuanced and ever more focused, and then eventually stereoscopic vision and so on. Okay. But unable to explain how survival of the fittest would actually deal with that. Nor did he explain irreducible complexity, which is an impossible thing to explain. And, you know, and somebody gave up the idea of irreducible complexity um, without even knowing that it was irreducible complexity. All right, here it is. You know, irreducible complexity is the notion that, that you, you... It's all nice and well if only one thing is changing, like the skin color of a bear, right? But what if something arrives in your body, so to speak, but it, it's, it requires two things, like two eyes, right? In order to get stereoscopic vision, you have to have two eyes, and they have to be placed in the appropriate places in your head. Yeah. They can't (laughs) be placed like a pigeon here and here, right? They have to be here and here like an owl. That's right. (laughs) How did they get there? Right. (laughs) Well, but even more simply put, I mean, how is it that that two eyes came on the scene at the same time? Right. And then, and why, and if it started off as a one eye, which we don't have any fossil record of, but let's just, let's have some fun. Then presumably it would be in the middle of the, the, the eye. What, what happened one day? Did somebody have an extra eye? Did all the other Cyclops make fun of uh, of little, little Bobby, you know, Kevin Bobby? Oh, he's got the he, – look at that funny kid with the two eyes.
1: Right, like Dr. Seuss's the Sneetches, the star-bellied the That's right. The, yeah,
0: exactly. Ah, they have stars. Ah. Stars on Mars. So, uh, yeah, exactly. So this is what they uh, – but it, it, it just doesn't make sense. But here's an even more simple thing. Ready? It's so simple. And I just read about it today. Uh, They reduce the complexity effect. We started off supposedly with just an amoeba, and then that in turn became more sophisticated, right? Putting aside the fact that it would be quite a mutation to be able to reproduce yourself, (laughs) right? But it still does it. And then that in turn somehow reproduces itself, and, and mutations galore from that, right? When did the mutation occur that both male and female start, right? I mean, you can't just have a male... Without a female, makes no sense. They it's have to,
1: chicken or egg.
0: It's right. right. You, you can't just like. You, you How did the egg hatch? Who laid it? Right. So so what? So you're telling me first, you created a male with a penis, and then, and then uh, whatever animal that might be, we'll call it a gopher, uh, and, and and you have a gopher male, and then oh well, lordy lordy lordy, let's let's uh, oh here's a convenient there's a mutation of a female, and she happens to have a vagina that fits just so, you know, and the reproductive Elements are all perfectly attuned. Yeah. How were they reproducing while that mutation took,
1: yeah, exactly. so to speak? How many how many epochs did that take? It's really phenomenal. I mean, I know the liberals love to say the Earth is, must be longer, older than 6,000 years old, and it must have taken six days, more than six days for, to make
0: right. all life.
1: But that's an awful lot of waiting for the uh, female of... gopher to show up on the scene. Exactly.
0: One of the other flaws in evolution, of course, and I don't really mean this to be all about evolution, but one of the other big flaws in evolution is that if, if the theory is all about mutations, putting aside the fact that mutations generally don't reproduce anyway, right, you don't, it doesn't happen. Like the mule can't reproduce itself, right? Yeah. Um, the, the it's human, a mutation. Yeah,
1: the village idiot in medieval Europe who had a mutation in his brain so he wasn't all right was not the one who was marrying and having the
0: large prodigious family. Right. So the, the only thing in terms of mutations of the, the, the great – the only thing in terms of mutations that uh, they seem to forget is that it's not always a positive mutation, right? So they, they think linearly, these evolutionists. What do I mean by that? I mean like when they think of a positive change, let's say um, that there's uh, the development of the, the heart and uh, the development of uh, – you know better hearing and things like that it's all positive changes but for each one of those positive changes you would think that there might be since it's all random right there should be hundreds of really bad changes right i mean what
1: a great point if it was accidental yeah if yeah. it didn't matter yeah if there's no god yeah right yeah and you have why, to assume why there's are no all god all these changes
0: so positive all the time right. what a great point so you would expect to see things in the fossil record as well Reflecting, I don't know, three arms? For yeah, them. because nature gives
1: us earthquakes and volcanoes and mudslides. Those aren't good. Yeah. Those happen naturally just because. We see that so, all the
0: time. Yeah. So, so But they, but it takes so much time for, for these good things to, to weed out. But somehow they, they always manage to weed out the good things only for some reason. But why should it be that way? Why shouldn't it be the survival of the fittest in that particular environment is that you do have three arms? I mean it seems to me that much better. Uh, or what if the temperature is such that it encourages one kind of thing, and then there's another thing happens later on. And we've had so many different um, uh, temperatures, for example, ice age and otherwise, but we humans are basically the same, right? I mean, we're not, it's not as if we're more furry as a result. You know, the Eskimos are not more furry than we are. You would expect them to be like Sasquatch, right? But they're not. They're basically humans. They're, they are. I mean, what am I saying? They are humans. In fact, they, they may even have less hair than somebody in, in Africa or uh, Iran or America. You know, it's, it's just they're, they're humans. But the, they live in a completely different environment. They've lived there for thousands of years. So how long does it take, my friend, to get to a point where you develop um, the skin of a polar bear or the, the hair of a polar bear? Yeah. How long? Does it take it, – we know that's it's more than 3,000 years. So how many generations does it take? How many thousands of years? And that's my my question. Does it take a million years? If it takes a million years, then are they all happening at the same time? I mean, it, or does it does are, are these evolutionary things happening at the same time, or one sequentially upon the other? You know, nobody thinks these things through. They just you, you they know, just like the the notion, and they don't think about how it actually might work out.
1: You know, it's so interesting about what you just said. The same set of liberal arguments, the same way of thinking, is perfectly applied to capitalism and free markets, too. Because, like you just said, isn't it interesting that all these random changes always result in the positive, but we can't say there's a creator or intelligent design, or creation. It's its just randomness, and we're just lucky. Boy, we just dodged that that asteroid that almost hit the Earth and wiped us out, and we just d- dodged this genetic mutation asteroid, too, and for some reason, it all just all worked out. Same thing with free market capitalism. Yeah, I know it brought us the iPod and the private jet and, Good point. Be- and indoor plumbing and a better standard of living for the poorest on Earth today than the richest on Earth 100 years ago, but... Still, uh,
0: it couldn't be that free market capitalism that day. Right, right. Yeah, they, it, they, just, it, just, it was just lucky. Yeah, they're willing to accept the, the beauty of uh, the human condition and all the beauty that we see around us through the process of randomness. That they're willing to accept, but they're not willing to accept the notion of letting a thousand flowers bloom when it comes to uh, the, 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 the free markets. That they right. will not accept. Uh, that, that you have to control because, you know, somebody might – Somebody get some. Some one of those flowers might get greedy and consume too
1: much fertilizer.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's that's. And then we could run out of horse poop. You know. (laughs) Well, we started off this uh, this whole thing with the uh, the notion of the closing of the American mind and and about doubting, right? I mean, it's one of the things that you were talking about. And I actually wanted to talk to another topic, but I think I'm going to save it for another day. I think you'll really like it, but I will tease you with it, which is the God impulse that we talked about before, right? Um, What happens? When you know that you, you do have a God impulse, right? We all have a God impulse. And what happens when you reject God? Well, you're also rejecting that impulse. You will gravitate to numerous kinds of isms out there. That might be socialism, communism, environmentalism, fascism, you name it, or some sort of other ideology. Uh, they'll suck you in. And I'm, I finally figured out the perfect metaphor. It's like that wayward girl who runs away from home and she'll run to the pimp because she needs a male figure in her life. She must have that male figure. And that's all these isms are. Pimps that play off your need for purpose. (laughs) Awesome. Daddy loves you. (laughs) Tune in next time,
1: folks. It's going to be a doozy.
0: (laughs) Anyway, really a pleasure, folks. And, uh, i you know, we, we obviously think about this time and time again. Um. And I hope you guys think about this time and time again. It's just, it makes it so much more fun. And as you ask these questions more and more to yourself, uh, doors open, wonders open, and uh, I think life becomes a lot more enjoyable. And you know what? You make better decisions, you make more realistic decisions, and everyone's happy. This is Barack Lurie signing off. We will talk to you next week at the Barack Lurie podcast. Thanks for listening.